You're listening to Captured in Celluloid. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And this week, we are going to take a closer look at the movies of one Jake Gyllenhaal. And for the second week in a row, we have brought a guest in to help us out, Andrew. And for the second week in a row, we have brought a guest in by the name of Jordan. Is this something we're going to do? Are we only going to have guests called Jordan? I think uh, that's probably the direction we're leaning in. Jordan Peele, Michael Jordan, right. Jordan <laughs> Bell. I mean, the the possibilities are endless. Jordan Bell's got time in his hands. A little less maybe now, but he's got some time in his hands. Um, the Jordan on this occasion is our good friend, Jordan Tresky. Jordan and I have been podcasting for what feels like eternity now. Andrew and Jordan have shared many NBA related podcasts in the past so we all know each other very well and this is your first forte into podcasting about movies of any sort right jordan welcome to the show and yeah i guess you can answer my question then hello and yes but no because i veer into very different topics when we record Mm, yeah okay that's true (laughs) you have veered off track into movies before that's very true but hello you're very welcome we're glad to have you uh i'm sure our listenership is soaring for this particular okay. guest appearance <laughs> legitimately i think the numbers are through the roof so i didn't uh, bring a rolodex into this project where i think jordan does so if he can in any way boost our profile by all means yeah thanks to the many thousands of you who've tuned in and uh, make sure to stick around next week when jordan isn't with us But for now, we are going to get into the main topic of the episode. And when Andrew and I started back up with this podcast, Jordan was one of the first people I thought of for, oh, when we branch out into guests, in part because we've often said having podcasts about other subjects and frequently ended up at least coming close to talking about movies before trying to steer the ship back on course, that it's something we could do. And... With that in mind, I reached out to you, Jordan. I said, okay, if you if you were to come on, is there any movie, is there any director, any actor, anything in particular you might want to talk about? And you gave me two movies as suggestions. And there are two movies we'll be talking about later, but I observed they both featured Jake Gyllenhaal. And from there, we decided to expand this out to make it a Jake Gyllenhaal-themed episode. I wonder, have you any idea, or particularly now giving it some thought beyond just those two movies, do you think there's a reason that you like Jake Gyllenhaal movies? Do you think there's a reason that a lot of people like Jake Gyllenhaal movies? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just think there's there's very... He does a lot of interesting movies. And if you really think about his career arc or whatever, filmography, not art. He's gradually gone into the this kind of, I, I, for lack of a better word, non-mainstream route. But then, mm-hmm. down, like, and then, well, obviously, there's there's basically, like, two tracks of it where he does stuff that he is obviously very interested by, like, helps make these movies, a, a few of them that we'll talk about. Um, and he does, you know, a bigger blockbuster name, bigger blockbuster pictures and all this stuff pictures look at me i'm dignified um crazy here yeah <laughs> oh yeah um but uh he does like i, I don't know it's it's he's 
to me, he's a very interesting actor that he's, I feel like a lot of people know who he is. He's not like, he's comes from this name that everybody knows who the Hills are between him and his sister, Maggie. And mm-hmm. he does, I, I don't think anybody would know like what their favorite, I, I feel like you would get like a lot of different answers for like what their favorite Jake Hall movie is. Cause he does so many different interesting works. That's that's my guess. I don't know if that answers the question or not, but that's what I'll stick to right now. Well, I'm interested in your answer, first and foremost. So that answer is for you, so that will do on that. Andrew, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree with him wholeheartedly in that he, he does a few different things as an actor in that he floats from genre to genre. He'll pop up in a blockbuster action film that gets 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. He'll also make uh, an indie film and he'll also kind of dig into a part of his portionality where, or personality, not portionality. Portionality is how you control the the portions of the food that you eat, Adam. Um, (laughs) uh, Digs into a piece of his personality where he really goes off the rails in a comedic sense and basically in many cases, you have no idea what he's doing, but you know you can't look away from it. So he's every man action hero, and he's also kind of a weirdo in some of his roles. And that's something that I think a lot of actors, as they're trying to you know make themselves the, the all-American Hollywood actor, are afraid to do. And he is not afraid to do that at all. He'll be in anything, literally. I feel like he's... I feel like he's a true A-lister. Like, and that is interesting because I he's maybe in one blockbuster that made money where he was the lead. You know, he's he's had a couple of successful turns in big budget movies and supporting roles. I mean, most recently Spider Man Far From Home, I think it's called. Um, but he's never really carried those movies in the way that it would often take for someone to attain that status. Or, I mean, conversely, his movies have often been maybe just a little too dark or too weird to make it into the awards conversation. So he's kind of interesting because he's, he's not in a category of a, a Leonardo DiCaprio or a Brad Pitt, these kind of figures. But he's kind of only maybe half a tear down, and I feel like there's very few people on the planet who probably don't know who he is. He wouldn't recognize him if he walked past him on the street. And I also, I think the thing for me is, and this, I mean, goes beyond his movies. This goes on to his persona. He seems incredibly likable. Like unbelievably likable. I don't know if there's some bad Jake Gyllenhaal stuff out there that I don't know about. I certainly have never heard or come across it, but he seems really thoughtful, really intelligent, and someone who doesn't necessarily take himself too seriously, but at the same time isn't like, you know, he's not Daniel Day-Lewis. He's not going to just hammer home his process and him going full method for a lot of things, even though he will do that for some movies it just doesn't kind of bleed over into who people see him as so he ends up with this kind of rounded out persona that for hardcore kind of cinephiles you've got a whole bunch of movies that are really beloved and kind of really acclaimed and cherished where you say oh that's like a great Jake Gyllenhaal performance or he's central to that movie 
But then you've also just got this kind of visibility and this likability, more importantly, that I think gives them a gives them a place in the masses, which I don't know. I think there are fewer Jake Gyllenhaal-esque actors out there, and it might be tougher to kind of just get all of those factors to come together. I, I don't know who I'd compare him to in terms of contemporary actors or say who's in his group, because I think most of his peers, maybe they they don't have the ability to turn it up dramatically or kind of lean into some of the the darker and stranger affair that he often does. Or they just, I guess it's a balance issue. I just don't think they have the balance. Say, for example, someone like Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, a lot of his best work, and he is one of the very best actors working, it draws on something that's there in Hall's best performances when he goes to a darker side, but he would be completely incapable of doing some of the other things Hall does. And I, I find that really interesting in that he's got an, a level of versatility that's just very uncommon. I'm not even sure if we've seen all of that fully utilized yet, um, and there's probably a whole other chapter of his career that could be yet to come for that. But I I don't know. I, I think that is something that is kind of... It, it's worth mentioning off the bat that this isn't someone that you can easily point to kind of comparisons. Can either of you think of someone that just brings the kind of package he does to a movie that, like, whether you're making... A, a prestige indie movie or you're making a big budget blockbuster you could have the same reasons almost for saying let's cast jake gyllenhaal i would have said no um but i think we've got two uh tarantino films to point to to, to make this suggestion in terms of the steering into a kind of a wackier comedic sensibility leo now i think can kind of walk both those lines. I mean, his role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and then and then Django Unchained are not not quite as off the rails as, as something Gyllenhaal's done. But that's the only actor that that really stands out to me in terms of being both an A list superstar movie star in quotations and also being able to to tap into the weirdness that Gyllenhaal does. I think the only reason I I separated him from. DiCaprio and, and Brad Pitt also, who I guess can do that. Maybe not quite go the dark route in the exact same way that, that Gyllenhaal or DiCaprio could. But it's it's in part that Gyllenhaal's never had a Titanic. You know, he's he's never had that movie that just allows him to make whatever he wants from there. And I think that's kind of part of DiCaprio, and that certainly worked to his advantage because it's given him more and more freedom. Um, And, I mean... In the immediate aftermath, he had freedom and he made some pretty bad movies, but he's eventually figured it out because he kind of, it's almost like he had a longer leash when it came to picking his movies. I don't know, though, with Gyllenhaal. There's someone who could emerge. I just don't think he has the same ability to, to offer up the lightness factor. Oh, I had a guess until you said that. What was your guess? I was going to guess Chalamet. Hmm. I don't know. He's a different... Because he doesn't have the physicality that someone like Gyllenhaal has, I, I find it difficult to compare them. I think he certainly got the overall versatility. The person that I had in mind was Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah. Mm, that's a good one. Now, I, I just don't know if... 
if he's got that kind of light touch. Saying that, he like this year, obviously he was in the lighthouse, which is not exactly light, but he is like he's very much aware of some of the things he's doing for comedic effect in that movie. And I can't believe I'm gonna mention this movie for the second time in like seven episodes. But David Michaud's The King, which is on Netflix, and again, I don't recommend any of you watching, but if you can just find Robert Pattinson's kind of two scenes on YouTube, you'll be like, what is he doing? This is insane. Like, what kind of actor of his stature does this? And maybe the answer to that question is Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, when Jake Gyllenhaal goes and he's like in in Okia, or when he does Saturday Night Live, or when he's in John Mulaney's Sack Lunch Bunch. Yes. Nailed it. I was doubting myself. It doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. <laughs> Velvet Buzzsaw, things like that, where he just he turns it all the way up. I guess Pattinson does that, but I I don't know. I, I could Gyllenhaal have been Batman? I'm actually I'm gonna hold that one because I have a thought on something related to that that will come up later. Did you have anyone, Jordan? Do you think of when you think of actors or you think of just kind of movie stars and movie stars who can cross around the kind of range of films that he can. Is there anyone that stands out to you? I don't know. If, like, I think Pattinson and Chalamet are kind of very interesting ones, but those are kind of, they're, they're haven't reached where like Jill and Hall is right now. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's In fair. terms of just I, obviously I think... age uh, more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I kind of profile too. I mean, yeah. I, maybe that's not fair for Pattinson, but his the, the arc of his career is really strange to have hit like the blockbuster heights first and then, and then to go the way he has. But now he's obviously going to go and be Batman, which brings him right back round and allows him to do both. Yeah, I, it's it's an interesting one. I, I think we've figured enough out there that there's not a really kind of ready list of comparisons that there is something that might be unique about Joan Hall on what he can do as as a screen actor and as a screen presence. Okay, so I know we've all done some degree of rewatching, and I mean, there's some of the movies we're going to talk about that we're just kind of endlessly familiar with anyway, because there's some real kind of heavyweight movies we're going to talk about. And what we are going to do in a few minutes is we're going to talk about our three favorite Jalen Hall performances, not necessarily our favorite Jalen Hall movies. I stress that because my favorite Dylan Hall movie is not on my list of, I think, his top three performances. Uh, but before we do that, is there anything in kind of watching him as a performer? And I guess this is the kind of question that does cross over from film to film. What do you think of when you think of him in a movie or what do you see that really does separate him or maybe just gives him that little something different that a lot of the actors we just mentioned don't have. Andrew, do you have any thoughts on that? For me, beyond the the kind of wacky sensibilities in some films, what I think about with Dylan Hall is kind of a, a quietness to to his roles and to his performances and like his ability to communicate with just his eyes. Like he's got pretty big expressive eyes and a lot of the roles that he's taking that we'll talk later really rely on him emoting that way. So that's one of the things that, that really jumps out to me when I think about most of his performances from a from a visual standpoint. Yeah, and other than that, it's just the, the ability to, to hop genre and, and tones and performances. I would say my... This certainly is reflected in my list. 
uh, I would say he does like these very uh, obsessive characters and just the way he dives into uh, I, I my I guess my favorite three performance of his, performances of his, but there, it certainly applies to many other ones too. Is that he's just very he just gets lost in something in terms of what he does in the character itself and just the little things that you can pick up on performances, whether it's like something very zany, like Velvet Budsaw, even Nightcrawler to a degree, you could see him kind of like really waiting and like waiting into those waters before Velvet Budsaw or any other kind of mm-hmm. wackier <laughs> movies. But he just kind of really hits the nail for me on like, just like when you, seeing someone like obsess over one singular thing and trying to achieve that goal for a character. And it's, I th- I find that very interesting to watch. The thing that I have, it kind of ties into what both of you are saying, because I think it's, it's a tool he has that he uses incredibly well. He certainly uses it in concert with what you brought up being his eyes. For me, it's his smile. I think he's got a one of a kind smile that is kind of, incredible for just how just how much he can do with it so where i'm going with this uh, i'm not just like blindly kind of swooning and admiring jake gyllenhaal's smile what i what i specifically mean is he has an ability you know your smile is your smile right (laughs) i mean sure you can kind of grin or you can there are different degrees to it, but your smile is your smile. So as an actor, it's a kind of tool that, you know, you come to know with certainly with high profile actors and they use it in a certain way. One that stands out is George Clooney. He's got kind of a, it's slightly a smirk, you know, and it always kind of factors into his character. It will be difficult to, to separate him from that kind of air of, I guess almost cheekiness that nearly always comes with his characters because the second he smiles, it's there. There is this kind of glint in the eye and just a smile. With Gyllenhaal, what I find though is if he's playing nice guy or maybe even nice might be the wrong way to put this. If he's playing someone who's like a little bit downtrodden but kind of has it together, you know, he smiles and it seems warm. It seems very genuine. And then the same smile, and this is largely with how he can use his eyes, just turns completely demented in particularly the movies we're all going to go on to talk about. <laughs> um, I just, every time I watch one of his movies, I find it very striking because you can get that progression within the movie. If his character is going on that kind of journey, it's something I think you can kind of, you can track and watch and just watch how it changes, how once his smile is kind of, he seems so, so innocent and so endearing. By the end of the movie, he can frequently kind of just transform his whole mindset with that. And that's, that's a real talent. It's also, a, you know, a natural gift he has. But I think it's a sign of an actor who's completely in control of, how they use the tools they have because he just knows what note to hit him when. I mean, that that is something too I thought about when looking through his filmography and thinking, okay, what do I need to rewatch? What movies do I need to consider for this? Maybe there is one. Maybe there's a couple. I haven't seen every one of his movies. I can't think of a bad Hall performance. 
I can think of movies he's in that aren't very good. I can't think of a movie where I'd say he was the reason the movie wasn't very good or he was the problem. Does that make sense or does that ring true to either of you? Mm-hmm. To an extent, although I will say I've seen about half of Prince of Persia, Adam, <laughs> and that's not a bad movie because of Gyllenhaal. That's a bad movie because it's a bad movie, but he is not giving a good performance in that movie. And in terms of all-time bad accents in movies, it's on the Mount Rushmore. <laughs> what accent is he doing? I, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I, it's Prince of Persia, but it's it's like... Yeah, not, I was guessing that, but I was like assuming, no, surely that's not what he's doing. There, it, it, You can't even place it. That being said, that movie made $336 million, so uh, get that money, Jake Gyllenhaal. All right, we'll move into some of the movies uh, we're going to talk about before we get to the lists themselves. I think there's a handful of movies that need to be talked about. A couple others I'll throw in there. Movie I watched for the first time today, a long-running blind spot. And if this podcast is proving useful for one thing, it's proving useful for lots of things, Andrew, I assure you. But if it's proving useful for one thing, it's that whenever I come to talk about something, it seems to bring up something that I'm like, yeah, that one I haven't got to yet. I've always meant to, haven't done it, and now is the time. In this case, it was Donnie Darko. Have either or both of you seen Donnie Darko at any point? I have. Maybe 10, 15 years ago for me or whenever. Like it was within a, a window of its release. So basically no, considering... Uh, In a window of its release? You were like 10-year-old watching Donnie Darko? Probably like 13, 14, that age range. Okay. That, that seems like prime Donnie Darko age range. I do remember... I do remember having friends from probably close to the age of 10 who were like, this is the greatest movie ever. And we're kind of obsessed with it. And I just, I was not into it. I was, I, that was back in my cowardly days, Andrew. I've, I've grown up. I've manned up when it comes to horror and things since. This is not a horror by any means. But there was something about the, the poster that I think unnerved me. So I was just kind of like, yeah, not, not for me. Um, you were an anti-Darko Milicic fan, and that's what turned you off to. Right? <laughs> sure, we we can go, we can go with that. Anti-Darko, anti-rabbit. So that really just brought it all home <laughs> for you. Well, I don't know any rabbits that look quite like that. I don't know about you. I don't know what your rabbits are like in the south. I mean, but I don't know any rabbits that look quite like that. <laughs> but I did watch this movie today, and. It's both kind of a masterpiece and a mess. It's a really interesting movie just for, like, I guess the million things it's trying to do. One, a great, great soundtrack. Really great use of music. Um, but this is the this is the first major Gyllenhaal performance. Uh, it wasn't a commercial success. Don't think it would have been anyway, but largely kind of put down to the fact that uh, a lot of the promotional materials involved the engine of a plane falling out of the sky and this was released in the year 2001 so those two things do not go together for obvious reasons so didn't do a whole lot at the box office but later became a real kind of cult classic uh, it was already a critically adored movie in that year richard kelly who has since gone on to make some really bad movies uh, was kind of hailed as this hero of the independent scene and one of the kind of brightest upcoming minds and filmmakers and really kind of launched a lot of the, the wave of mid two thousands 
independent cinema, which is weirder than what came before. I think that may be in part because of Donnie Darko. I think the reason why, it, unlike, say, the 90s, where you're talking about, like, Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Lee, like, the 2000s is not quite as great for independent cinema. A lot of it is weirder, the good stuff. Um, I think that is in part down to Donnie Darko. But to get to Gyllenhaal in this, really, really great performance. One that very nearly made my list. Because right from the start, he's got the the kind of things we've already touched on. He's got this ability. One, he's incredibly young in it. And uh, I mean, we haven't mentioned up until now, but he has kind of a babyish face, right? He does have this this quality to him that is quite... I don't want to say juvenile because I, I guess it works. There is, there is something quite juvenile about him. It's, it rarely matches up with the subject matter. Boyish is probably better because it's purely really his appearance I'm talking about. But that is there in Donnie Darko. And yet he really gets to act and he really gets to go some places and he nails it from the off. And I guess the most interesting thing I came out of that movie thinking about in regards to him is... Sure, it makes sense. You make a movie that gets you on the radar and you kind of break out and then you end up doing bigger budget things and really kind of trying to move into more mainstream fare and saying, you know, can I become the big movie star? The one he ultimately did, even if it is somewhat maybe by accident with the kind of movies he's picked, but it's kind of curious that it took him so long to get back to some of the films we're going to talk about because I'm, I don't think there's... There's only one movie on our list that comes from the mid-2000s, mid to late-2000s, and the others are 2010s. And he did really, he did take a conscious kind of turn in the decisions he was making, but it, I think it is also interesting to look at what he already was in Donnie Darko and be like, oh, this guy could have just leaned into this from the start, and I wonder what movies he would have made. Maybe he wouldn't be quite as well-rounded, maybe he'd have had a complete nervous breakdown by now if he had been doing movies like this for like 20 plus years but it's kind of it's interesting to me in that regard of oh he's going for it and you can see how good he is already and yet he does kind of take a turn away from that pretty soon after uh any thoughts either of you from your what maybe faint memories of donnie darko um I haven't seen that movie in probably like 10 something years at this point. Do you even, I'll make it simpler because you probably don't have insights on Jake Gyllenhaal's performance because little did you know at that time that some, some idiot would be asking you on a podcast or something. Well, what did you think of Jake Gyllenhaal's performance on Donnie Darko? But overall thoughts of the movie, even any, or what you felt at the time, any sense of that? Oh, I, I really liked it. It was one of those movies. It's like a slow burn thing where you just kind of, you think it doesn't like leave your mind after you watch it and stuff like that. And you feel mm-hmm. like, Oh, I didn't have like str- strong feelings about the movie after you finished watching. And then it a couple of days passed, like, Oh, this is really sticky with me. And just like how mind bending it can be. And obviously the, and I can't, why can't I f- remember. Don't that? be spoiling. Yeah. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to sp- spoil anything, but yeah. It, it did come out in 2001, but it, I didn't see it till earlier today. So we're going to be mindful. And we will be mindful throughout this. Uh, any spoilers, we will flag up. I The one thing I, I also thought of with it, it's a movie I'm glad came out in 2001 rather than now because there'd be a lot of kind of toxic energy around it. I think there already was. I think it spoke to a certain kind of person. Maybe not for 
not necessarily for reasons. I wouldn't say not entirely. Not necessarily. I think there's some things there. But like it to me, it's like the kind of the original Reply Guy movie. If that makes sense, there's kind of a. Even I remember friends who knew it. It's not. It's not like this is a broy movie in like a kind of just anyone way, but in a kind of. I don't know weirder people who are into movies way there was a certain kind of person that i think this film spoke to it sounds like you're saying it appealed to dudes that yell at women about basketball on twitter now i don't know if that's what you've meant but that's just what i yeah, no, I, I think the the 2001 equivalent of that that tracks so, that tracks baseball I, I, <laughs> uh I don't know what sort of message boards or forums, wherever people were angry then, I feel like this movie would have had a real kind of stranglehold. Um, it just, it, I think it speaks to a kind of, I did, one, it's, it's a very masculine movie. Like uh, everything about it, its whole perspective is incredibly masculine. And I, I don't even know how, I don't even know how, it would feel to watch that as a woman. I don't know. It's a very, I, there are some things in it. Again, I'm watching this for the first time in 2020. I'm like, okay, that's an interesting line of dialogue, or that's an interesting choice. That's an interesting thing to do with the camera. That just is kind of, it's it feels a little strange, like so much does. But I I just think, yeah, it taps into something and a sort of person. I'm not using specific terms here, but I think people will know what I'm talking about. Therapy sessions regarding Christina Applegate that are disturbing, definitely. Uh... Definitely Applegate. Yeah, I don't think she's in it. No, she's she's discussed. Right. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what she did to deserve that, but no. You talk about <laughs> vivid memories. I mean, a scene that you'll understandably have vivid memories about. Adam, I refresh my brain via the internet, but continue. <laughs> okay, that's called cheating, people. <laughs> uh, moving on, another film, one that didn't make my list, didn't really come close to making my list. But I think it would be just kind of wrong of us not to discuss it. I guess it's maybe the turning point of his career in some ways. And that's Brokeback Mountain. I know you mentioned, Andrew, that this was one you felt like we need to discuss. And I, I think you're right in saying that. Is this a film you've seen recently? Or, or do you have any overwhelming thoughts about Hall in it? I do. So it's it's been probably five years but for a movie that came out 15 years ago that's relatively recent i've probably seen it three or four times uh it's obviously a a very important movie for for what it did uh showcasing a uh a gay romantic story on a mainstream setting that made a ton of money and got a lot of oscar acclaim and he's just made made two megastars two a-list megastars Mm -hmm. two heterosexual a-list megastars which I don't know if that's a good or bad thing to come out of it, but maybe helped with that along the way. That might be, it, sorry to cut across, but to what you were talking about, Adam, that might be like his Titanic movie. His version. Sure, I, it's the closest he comes to it, absolutely. I think you're right with that. And I think it's so interesting about what he does in that movie because he's the, the magnetic force that's pulling a performance out of Heath Ledger. Not necessarily Heath Ledger, but the the character that's playing opposite him is so reserved and stoic and it's Hall's kind of, again, I'll use the word boyish charms and uh, kind of more whimsical attitude about <laughs> being out on the mountain that, that really opens up uh, Ledger's character 
and he's got to be kind of excited about what's happening about this burgeoning burgeoning romance and he's also got to showcase a degree of of hurt and sadness because of obviously what they were up against during that time you you obviously it was very difficult for you to be openly gay where they were so he's balancing two sides of a of a coin there with the the sort of romanticism of his relationship and also the sadness that they can't be who they are publicly. And I think he strikes that balance perfectly. Uh, I think it's a, it's an incredible performance and uh, it's important for us to mention for that reason. I think it's his most sincere performance and, you know, often sincerity doesn't, it doesn't last in the consciousness, you know, that that's there the off the performances that although they're really good and they can get a claim at the time, they're the ones, say, if you think back on Oscar nominees from a given year, they're the ones you forget, and it's he becomes really good at a certain kind of showiness, which will certainly stand out in our list. I, I, I tried to go for one movie that I felt was just not quite as showy, but he had a little bit more showy than what he gets to do in most of this movie. Uh, but yeah, a really, really strong performance. I we're that's we're talking about a movie that um, not just was significant for what it was doing in terms of representation, in terms of story and themes, um, not just a movie that was successful in awards and a commercial sense, but I mean, it goes it goes beyond the two male leads too. I mean, kind of obviously Heat Ledger, the Heat Ledger element of this is tragic that his career cut off when it did, but still went on to become a big, big movie star. And you look at the other people in that movie, and you get Michelle Williams and you get Anne Hathaway. I mean, this like none of them were no names at the time, but that's a movie that did in many ways go on to shape what became, you know, some of the real top tier top stars in Hollywood of the decade to fifteen years that have followed. In terms of the story beats and the the actual filmmaking visually, I think it's a very of its time 2000s feeling movie mid 2000s but i still think it's something that's that's worth a rewatch because it it is a legitimately great movie that i think um i don't know that it won best picture i should have checked into that but uh looking back i think it 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 even should have gotten more acclaim than it did i think it's a, a really good movie of the time yeah and of course it is directed by ang lee who was not was, who is a master filmmaker. I mean, some of his more recent choices and movies not quite as good. Uh, it didn't win Best Picture, I can oh, tell you that that's... much. Yeah, Jordan Jordan might just have even given it away. I'll let you guess, Andrew. But it infamously didn't win Best Picture. Do you remember what beat it? Uh, It wasn't The Departed, was it? That's too early. No, no, okay. that was the next year. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure. It was Crash. Oh, yeah. F that noise. <laughs> right. A couple other movies. Some we've kind of touched on already. I mean, I don't have any others that were close misses because two films that I would really have liked to put on my list if we made our lists a little bit longer are gonna come up across both of both of your lists. I've I've listed Okja, which we've talked about in not too when did we talk about that, Andrew? A few weeks ago when we did the Bong Jun Ho podcast. And we mentioned Jill Hall on that occasion. You watched this recently, Jordan, right? I did not. I didn't have Oh, okay. Time. You were going to. We had a conversation about it. At some point, you may see it and 
Jake Gyllenhaal is dialed all the way up in that movie. It's it's quite a quite a sight to behold. It's it works like it works. Everyone is kind of like he's not as dialed up as Tilda Tilda Swinton maybe in any Bong movie she's been in, but he's doing a lot, and uh, it's kind of pretty entertaining when he's on screen. It's a very bizarre role on the page, I would imagine, and. He knew he had to come out throwing 100 miles an hour, and he does that the entire time. Uh, he, he's some I can't remember zookeeper or something involved with the animals, and he's wearing these beige short shorts half the time, and his hair's kind of slicked back in a weird way, and his 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 voice is just dialed up to a new degree as well. It's a really balls to the wall performance, and. Uh, I think it works better than the Robert Pattinson performance in the whatever King movie probably does that you've described. You haven't even seen that. I know, I'm saying probably It it probably does. It definitely works better. It it doesn't bring a whole movie down that wasn't good to begin with, so it definitely works better. But if you still see just a YouTube compilation of that, you're like, what the hell is going on? But I love it nonetheless. It's the kind of film I wish he was nominated for some awards for, just because it would make one of the best like award reels ever. Like to just have that kind of austere setting, and it's like you know, clip, polite applause, clip, polite applause, and then to give a clip of Gyllenhaal in that movie, that would have been something special. Alas, it didn't happen. Spider Man: Far From Home. I have a feeling neither of you have seen this. Am I right? You are right. <laughs> it. You know, I have not. <laughs> it's quite good first of all I mean not the biggest MCU fan here um, do you like the Spider-Man movies I actually I like this one a lot more than the first Tom Holland one Jake Gyllenhaal is phenomenal in it just an amazing amazing performance an incredibly funny performance just him coming in and being like yeah I guess everyone's doing a Marvel movie sure I'll do one too uh how can I just make this as, again, as ridiculous as possible, or really just kind of play with this? He does, I would say, easily one of the most interesting characters in all whatever many movies they've made. Like, 30 movies, whatever. However many movies are in the MCU, um, Jake Gyllenhaal in Spider-Man Far From Home, right up there, top one percentile of, you know, this is the guy, this is the most interesting, this is the guy I want to hang out with. That's what I'm saying. Uh, the other movie I want to mention here, I don't know if either of you have seen this too, I don't think it's generally very well thought of. Have either of you seen Source Code? Once Upon a Time, yes I have. I really enjoy Source Code. Uh, okay, I'm glad. Yeah, it's him getting to be the movie star like we were saying, and Michelle Monaghan's really good in it as well. It's a kind of role that for him as a movie star that makes sense, that I, I think is a kind of natural fit, that I wonder if there's just another movie he could have been in. Uh, maybe maybe there's another... Maybe there's even another train movie he could have been in. I wonder if he was the Chris Pine role in Unstoppable. That would seem like a good Gyllenhaal role. That could have been what his I, big... What I was going to say huh? is that like there's a movie that's probably... I would say I don't, perfected might not be the right word, but it, it kind of built on the exact plot point of what source code is supposed to be and made it, I would maybe say a better movie, even though I'd have to rewatch it. Anyway, edge of tomorrow. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's, that's a 
pretty beloved movie in a lot of ways. I believe they're trying to make a sequel to that now. But yeah, I think that certainly applies. Source Code for me is in part interesting because one, I think he's good in it. Um, I don't think it's a great move. I think he's good in it. And I think it speaks to a larger trend, which I guess we haven't really touched on directly, but I mean, it's come up. Like in talking about the movies he's been in, we've mentioned people like Bong Joon-ho, Ang Lee. He works with interesting filmmakers and directors. I wouldn't say he always catches them on their best work, but it's clearly something he thinks about. And teaming up with Duncan Jones off the back of Moon, which Moon is a phenomenal movie, Mm -hmm. and one that he just hasn't been able to live up to since, unfortunately. But that, to me, was a really interesting thing at the time. And I think Jim Hall did a lot with that. I think Michelle Monaghan's actually really good, too. Generally, as an actress, probably that also applies. Um, pretty underappreciated and underused. But I think Source Code is kind of an interesting... Not like it's ever going to make this list. But just when I look down his filmography, I'm not crazy about... Something like The Day After Tomorrow, which maybe there's people listening to this who like love that movie. This would not surprise me at all. And I could be very upset that it's not really going to get discussed. I've seen it once. I remember next to nothing of it, bar the kind of the general outline of, you know, apocalyptic climate disaster kind of stuff. But yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's worth bringing up source code. Like, say, something like Jarhead 2, which he does with Sam Mendes. Like, he doesn't always catch these people at the right time, but he's trying and he's doing stuff. And there are certainly a couple of people we'll end up talking about later who are directors of that kind of caliber who he does catch the right time. So with that, let's transition over into our lists. So we have each picked out our top three. There is some crossover, but we'll certainly start out by breaking these down one by one. We'll begin with the guest, Jordan. So... What do you have in third place on your list? Drum roll, please. Anyway, um, I'm going with Prisoners. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Anna, wait until we're invited. Oh, for God's sake, Kelly, get the hell in here. What? He actually sings in the shower. I do not. Yes, you do. Can I take Joy to our house? Wear a hat, please. You're just getting over a cold. Joy, you wear a hat, too. Where are your sisters? I can't find them. Anna? Joy? Wait, I checked the entire house. They're not here. Dad, there was this RV, and they were playing on it. There was, there, we thought there was someone inside. You wait here. Let me go. I couldn't find them. Detective Loki. Do you have children, detective? I'm going to find your daughter. Show me your hands right now. Huh? You put those girls somewhere, Alex. No. I know you put those girls somewhere. He stays in custody until my daughter's found, right? We have a 48 hour hold on. It ends tomorrow unless we bring charges. Go we'll charge him or something. That boy has never been in trouble, not a day in his life. Well, this thing's clean. I'd start looking in the woods by the rest stop. The police said they're letting him go today. What you doing? Tell me! Oh, no, no, no! Day six. And every day, she's wondering why I'm not there. You told us that you could protect us from everything. Why did you look for my daughter? 
Galaxy. What in the world did you do? Someone has to make him talk, or they're gonna die. We're not gonna help Kella, but we won't stop him either. Let him do what he needs to. I know you know where they are. Where's my daughter? Well, first of all, I think it would. This is probably. I might have like the attachment factor with it because it was kind of the first movie I saw outside of Zodiac where he plays it's a very intense drama about the disappearance of two kids and just kind of like I I, I don't know I, I didn't really think much of Jake Jonathan beforehand and then when I saw he was in this movie that caught my attention and I was like oh like I want to see it then when I eventually saw it I thought he that was when my tune kind of changed out like what kind of actor he is and just what kind of performance he can give and all that stuff and work my way backwards from there from what I hadn't seen when I think prisoners came out in like 2013. So we're almost like seven years at this point, mm-hmm. but I feel like his performance in it is it's different in that he has to kind of basically connect all the, the story in terms of just making and obviously solve the mystery of the story which I will not be giving away, but uh, he p- just playing like how he, again, it's more of just like the obsession, just like the little th- things that he could really, he does in the movie that it's very understated. Uh, but like you just see what, how obsessive he is over the things. Like he does this little thing with like his eyes that are just like, so- something's like a little off with it, but you don't like, you have to like trust him that he's going to figure everything out. And it's, I don't know. I don't know. There's just something, Outside of just liking the movie all in general, and it got me on like the de- how do you spell, say his name? Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Uh, train. Denny Villeneuve. Uh, outside of just getting on that train, and Roger Deakins was, uh, uh, what's his, what's his director? Of- he was the DP. Yeah. Yeah, and that was in the combination of that and just like how good the movie is. It's like oh my god, like it was hard to like. I think I rewatched like a couple times after. Right after seeing it and then rewatched it ahead of this, and you just kind of, it's one of those. It's it's a it. You just forget how good that movie is. It's not necessarily like one of his one of the most or biggest movies that people would know. But I just think he is like the connective tissue that really uh, makes that movie even better than what it is. I would say. Yeah, I. This is one movie I didn't get to rewatch uh, to do this, and I wanted to, and then it ultimately came out that it's another movie, one that I said to you, oh, I won't rewatch that. I've seen it tons of times before, but I love it so much that I just ended up watching it again. Anyway, more on that later. But I think it's interesting you mentioned this as a movie you saw after Zodiac, where you started to kind of recognize him, because I think there are some similarities to his performance. From Zodiac to this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Maybe it's the best way of putting it is he starts the kind of the journey he goes on in Zodiac. We join him further along that journey at the beginning of this movie. If you know what I mean. Uh, it's it's he's maybe we don't ever really see him as. 
quite as timid as he is at the beginning of Zodiac. There, there just isn't that same kind of naivety, that same kind of quality that's there in that movie. Meekness. Yes, exactly. But I think, I think it is one that it stands out for a couple of reasons. One, he's developed a great working relationship with Denis Villeneuve, and this was, I mean, a notable movie for Villeneuve. It's it's one that it's not like it's kind of at the forefront. I think of anyone's mind. All these years later, I don't think it's Villeneuve's best movie. I don't think it's Gyllenhaal's best. I don't think it's their best collaboration. But it's a really, really good movie that brought both of them up kind of a couple of levels, it feels like. And that isn't to be underestimated. I think it was a big step for Gyllenhaal, the point of his career where he's like, yeah, I want to take more risks and I want to do stuff that's darker i mean, this may not be quite the point where he goes i'm gonna make independent movies because i think this is made for a budget of close to 50 million dollars um so okay not mega budget but the kind of mid-budget movie certainly that you wouldn't have the option of even operating in anymore but yeah i think it's a it's a really good and nuanced performance he gives in it too um that just adds a kind of an interesting layer overall to the movie Andrew, your thoughts on Prisoners? So, Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite filmmakers working today and has probably made, I think, four of my favorite movies You're, You really in the last love Denis 20 years. So much so that you now know how to say his name. <laughs> I know. It took me a while. Podcast uh, iteration number one was, was a tough, tough look for me in that pronunciation. But Prisoners is one that didn't really speak to me as much as something like Arrival or, or Blade Runner or Sicario or T- TBD. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one I've seen just once and, and and it didn't really stick with me. It's not something I've come back to. I have to. a theory on that. I have a theory on that. It ties into why I didn't watch it again. It is long. It's yeah. long. It's really long. It is very long. I don't think it needs to be that long. I'm not. I'm not saying you watch the movie and you're like, "This is really dragging," but I, I just think it is. Like it's, it's kind of really indulgent in what it's doing. Like the, it is incredible that this is seven years ago, and, and as I mentioned a minute ago, this is a nearly fifty million dollar budget, and they were just like, "Sure, yeah, here's some movie stars and fifty million dollars, and just kind of make this really dark adult drama that goes on for over two and a half hours like that is wild it feels it feels like a movie that wouldn't be made today oh absolutely not no chance at least in like in its current form there there's just even with those people though i i don't think like villanova is one of the biggest directors in the world now and i don't think if you got hugh jackman and jake gyllenhaal and viola davis terrence howard terrence howard paul dano Melissa Leo's in this film, I think. <laughs> Paul Dano uh, exists in that movie just to get be <laughs> pulverized. It is a brutal rewatch. Of, I, uh, yeah, but it's yeah, <laughs> it's like oh the my length God. of the movie, and and then the Hugh Jackman and the Paul Dano performances are what I don't think work for me. You do, I uh, I really like that, but I I love Paul Dano. I think Paul Dano uh, is one of the one of the very best actors working, and sadly he doesn't work enough. I mean, there is an element with this Paul Dano of him uh, channeling his inner There Will Be Blood, his inner Eli. Yeah. Which is actually, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the, we're going to actually, there's not just Paul Dano stuff we'll talk about in the moment, but also 
maybe the dynamics of his character in There Will Be Blood are both things that will come up in regards to Hall as we continue. But one thing I'm just looking here, do you know what Paul Dano's character's name is in this movie? Oh, no, he, that was not the only uh, weird name choice in that movie. I, I know, it's it's not a weird name choice. I mean, they're two perfectly normal names that when you put them together, he's like, whoa. We just know too much now, yeah. I think is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so we all know what the name is, right? Yes. Because this is a podcast, it'll tell people who are listening. Without judgment, I'm just going to say Paul Dano plays a character by the name of Alex Jones in this movie. Which, yeah, that's a... That's a choice that they couldn't have known about at the time. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character's name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did this happen? I, I wonder. I don't know. Did Have either of you ever come across anything? Or did you read anything, Jordan, that this is what the character became? Uh, there was no name specific- specificity. <laughs> or, or anything why... It's that, but it's, yeah. He's called Detective Loki, again, for anyone who doesn't know. There's which... a lot of weird names, like, Hugh Jackman's name is Keller Dover, which is... Is Keller a name, as a first name? Have either of you ever come across a Keller anywhere in your life? I think there's a... I have, they usually play lacrosse. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence I... Howard is Franklin Birch, which is maybe a little bit... It, I mean, that sounds like a name, but it also, come on, like, it's doing a lot. I, I don't want to make fun of who who wrote this. Uh, Aaron Guzikowski, because in my own experience of writing anything fiction-related, the part that literally drives me insane is trying to come up with names, because nothing ever sounds real. Mm-hmm. I always marvel at how screenwriters find a way to do this, where it's like, oh, that name just doesn't seem like a stupid made-up name. But I guess... Uh, Aaron Gozakowski may suffer from the same problems that I do. Any other thoughts on prisoners? Was this a was this a clear kind of entry on your list, Jordan? Or there, there might be some things coming up that you liked too, but did this one did you have to really deliberate on this or was this kind of clear on your list? And then I guess also, do you find it kind of delineated where the films you're gonna talk about later? you feel like they are clear steps above this. I would say I, I, I could have gone a different way um, with it. I think it, I think the fact that you brought up Zodiac, and I don't think this is the only movie that I thought of when, uh, when rewatching the Jill Hall movies I did. I, it's one of those things where I think because of what his performance in Zodiac, I think it's, if he had delivered, similar performances to it. I mean, it changes the entire character and the fact that he's also playing a real life character in Zodiac is makes this all different compared to the rest of the movies on my list. But it's one of those things where you can see kind of like the seeds planted from that character in Zodiac playing Robert Graysmith. And then when he kind of tackles similar, I guess, territory or kind of mystery based films, like, he, I, you see like a very clear line of like, oh, this is a, a different performance that he would given, uh, I guess seven years ago when Prisoners was made compared to Zodiac, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, Andrew, first pick on your list. So, number three for you, what's your pick? So, number three, 
um, for me, is going to be Tom Ford's 2016 release, Nocturnal Animals, starring Jillian Hall and Amy Adams. Edward? Hi. Good season. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> you look beautiful, as always. Do you know that you were my first crush? You were my first crush, too. Don't do this. He's too weak for you. The things you love about him now are the things you'll hate. I really wanted to be this person that you thought I was. When you love someone, you have to be careful with it. You might never get it again. My ex-husband used to call me a nocturnal animal. I didn't know you had an ex-husband. Did you love him? I did something horrible to him. I left him in a brutal way. What are we gonna do? It's a question of how serious you are about seeing justice done. You're crazy. You're making a big mistake. I'm gonna live to regret this. It's gonna be rough for him out there, not knowing how it's gonna come. Nobody gets away with what you did. Nobody. Uh, this one's interesting as it kind of takes place in, in two different locations. One of the locations being a fictional location, aka in the middle of a novel. So essentially, Jillian Hall and Amy Adams are exes and. Uh, he sends her his completed novel called Nocturnal Animals, which is what he used to call her. And it's kind of a psychological neo-noir thriller movie. And the interesting thing about this is the primary character that we see Hall as is a fictional character within this fictional world. So it's like, he it's, again, which will come up later, he's almost playing two characters at once as we see his actual in quotes, real life person, as well as his novelized perception of himself. And it's interesting how we jump back and forth between those two worlds. And he does the thing that I mentioned, I think offline to you guys that I think he does so well is where he, he kind of taps into a, a sad sack kind of uh, puppy kicked when he's down type of persona. Uh, and, he, in my recollection, he does that really well. Adam, I know you took the time to, to rewatch that movie this week, and you, you said it doesn't necessarily hold up as well as you thought it did. Does that have anything to do with Jill and Hall's performance, or was that more of a overall sense of the movie? Uh, overall sense of the movie, but Jill and Hall's performance in this wouldn't have been close to making my list. I, I'm. I, I think it's a, it is an important one for him because I think that element of his persona that it represents uh, is certainly captured very well here. I don't know if I'd say personally that it's best captured here, but it is one of the more obvious examples. And I think this is also an interesting movie for him because it's, again, he's coming to this part of his career where he really wants to challenge himself and kind of step out of his box. And he doesn't just do that in a normal way that someone would do. He does that like in just these insane ways where, yeah, I'm going to play two characters in all these movies all the time, uh, which is like no one does this. No one wants to take this on. And yet this seems to be a phase he 
has gone through where he's like, yeah, sign me up. Uh, there's only one character I'm not interested. I want to play two characters in the movie. I think the thing for me, I, I adored this movie. On a, a previous incarnation of this podcast, we did talk about this movie. R.I.P. We, we would have talked about it quite gushingly. And I don't know if I watched it at home before. I think I maybe saw it twice in theaters. And I think this is my first time rewatching it. And it's um unbelievable kind of maximalist exercise in style quite gaudy i mean um it's tom ford it's tom ford the the fashion designer tom ford literally the brand and much like he did with single man i think he's he's got a really interesting style as a filmmaker he really kind of has a strong sense of where to put the camera he knows how to make a movie i think there's some incredible shots some really nice pieces of filmmaking I think on rewatch, I was like, this story is much more convoluted than I ever remembered. And I wonder if part of that is when you're not getting the full spectacle, when you're not getting the visuals on the biggest possible screen, and when, you, when you're not getting uh, the score from Abel Korzenowski, which one of one of my favorite scores of like the last 10, 20 years. It's, it's basically a Bernard Herrmann ripoff score, but Bernard Herrmann is great. So if anyone wants to do that, I'm down to listen to it. I, I think all of that kind of combined for this incredible kind of immersive experience that is also really strange and kind of absurdist and excessive. And I was lost in some of the details on this watch. And I mean, I, Jill Hall, I don't know. He, I, I I don't know. I honestly I don't have a feel for how I felt. Maybe you could remember, Andrew. I would highly doubt it. I'm sure you've got more important things to remember and like retain <laughs> with the limited memory that we all deal with. But maybe you have some sense of how I felt with Jalen Hall. Very doubtful. Um, but I don't know if he was what stood out to me in the first place. I think Amy Adams is pretty great, and Michael Shannon is really great in it. Aaron Taylor Johnson does a lot. <laughs> maybe that. <laughs> Maybe that hurts my Gyllenhaal perception that when I think of this movie, I think of performances, I think I'm going to Michael Shannon first. Mm-hmm. And Gyllenhaal shares the screen with him for his best scenes too, where he's he's kind of being a good scene partner and that is doing your job and that's playing your part really well to set that up because the movie would just completely crumble and Shannon's own kind of standout moments wouldn't hold up if Hall kind of tried to fight back and play his parts in a showier way at times in this. So I think that's important to it. But when I'm thinking of his performances, upon revisiting it, it's worth stressing because this could easily have made it if I just went in blind without rewatching. I just don't think it has him putting his stamp on it and him kind of saying, when I come into the movie, you're sitting up and you're noticing what I'm doing, whatever I'm doing. And I think for me, there's five to six like really, really great movies where I think that applies for with him where this isn't quite his movie for me. But I yeah. there's a lot to like there. Like I, I don't I don't think that this is a completely outlandish pick from you or I mean this is this is a really fascinating movie and one that Jill Hall is certainly interesting and he does a lot in it, it's a weird thing. He's, he's he's on the screen quite a lot because he's playing these two characters. And yet he's always a supporting character, if that makes sense. Or he's always in a supporting role. 
So it's kind of just a, an unusual dynamic that in part the film imposes on him more than anything else. That's That makes a lot of sense um, that you would say that now. I think if I might have gone through as extensive a rewatch as as you did, Brokeback might have knocked this out of out of my three that I was mentioning. It's it's almost like for me and remembering it, I'm also remembering him in other roles in my past history with him as an actor. Because without getting into too many details, so we have to watch his quote unquote real life character take this journey and go from, from one thing to another thing. And then the character that's in the fictional world is almost like what that did to him emotionally and how he saw himself because of his relationship with Amy Adams. And then when we see the modern day scenes where he's not there, but he's still like a looming presence on the movie and for Amy Adams, we almost have to be able to sense that he's evolved into that darker persona that we've seen him play. So that might be playing into to my remembrance of the movie and that it's almost like he's playing three roles to me. And one of those roles is when he's absent. I think I think it's fair. I, I as I said, I think it's a pick. I wouldn't have picked it, but I don't think it's like no, that shouldn't be anywhere near it. I think it's a it's a reasonable pick. I think it's maybe I'll watch it again some other time. I'm I'm fully back in on the movie. Like it is, the movie's a trip. It's it's pretty weird and it's ultra pulpy, like in a way that not a lot gets made like that. And I think Tom Ford again, his name and what it means even outside of film is key to getting that made. And the fact that just all these actors wanted to work with him. I mean, killer cast that would help you get a movie made. Jordan, you did you get to watch this? Had you seen it before? You checked out for the first time ahead of this, was it? Yeah, I, I watched it. I think it was based on uh, Leftover Popcorn. Because I remember... Oh. Yeah, I remember seeing... I think it came out around Christmas time. I know it was like a small release, but I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, that, that would seem right. It was it would have been award season-ish, yeah. so that's certainly right. And I it was one of those again, it's oh, that came out. Oh, I totally forgot about that and rewatched it and, or watched it for the first time and really liked it and then rewatched it again. And I would definitely agree. I think it's one of those things where the difference between watching the second time and the first one is just kind of the mystery is kind of lost, obviously, mm. in terms of you aren't waiting on like just what happens you're kind of letting just try to see how the like everything works again and just all the performances which certainly hold up and i would definitely agree that's the thing about like that movie is he is so he's key to like the whole thing uh overall but he his performances like it's between like amy adams and michael shannon in terms of just like how they kind of or and not just those two, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, like he is, it's, it's a weird thing to like describe that. He's like a supporting role in, but he's the reason why the movie is actually happening kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, he, he's like, he's a, he's like, he's a plot point rather than a character in some ways. Like he has to prop the whole story up both in the novel and that character. And also in the actual reality of the story, his character's purpose is to just like, keep everything afloat and to keep the mystery and suspense working in both strands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, it's just a very interesting movie and I, I would definitely recommend rewatching it for anybody that has seen it uh, already. And, or you know, obviously for those that haven't Adam, before we move on, I will say, remember there's a theme on this podcast uh, or just me talking to you and that <laughs> I'm watching movies with people that, 
may not be movie oh, people, yeah, yeah. and I and I introduce something that may be potentially upsetting. I mean, let, let me let me flesh this out just a tiny bit because often I feel like this is going to be less of a thing because we're putting pressure on you to stay up with movies, and it it was kind of the sort of thing that every now and then you'd be like, I've got a chance, got a chance to see a movie. What will I watch? And or I may have recommended something to you before, and I'm recommending movies. I'm not recommending communal experiences, essentially, is what I'll say. And then when Andrew does sit down to watch these movies, he'll be like, yeah, I'm watching this with like five other people, and it's not going down well. You've There's been some all-timers that you've, you've gone through that kind of experience with so far. Killing of a Sacred Deer. There was another one recently that I can't remember, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a theme, and... Uh... We can we can dig into that next time it happens. <laughs> yeah, let's hope it happens less frequently because you're you know you're the movie man now. As much as Anywood is the movie person, I may have to catch up on movies. Coronavirus be damned. Number three on my list. I agonized over this, really really agonized over it, and Donnie Darko was a near miss. There's another one that we'll we'll talk about in. Uh, your collective picks that will come up. But I ultimately went for something that I just, it, it wasn't the most obvious to me, but it just had a couple of moments that I think were really different for him, really stand out and really say something about what he's become as an actor. And my number three is Wildlife. You know what they call trees in a forest fire? Fuel. You know what they call the trees left up when the fire goes by? They call them the standing dead. Mom's dead. Is dead okay? Of course he is. His pride got hurt. That happens sometimes. You don't have to worry about anything, Joe. There comes a time when a man needs something more to hang his hat on. I got this homicide in my head. I need to do something about it. You understand? I think your father has a woman out here. He wouldn't do that. No? Why do you think men do things? They either go crazy or it's a woman. I don't think that's true. People are drawn to things they shouldn't be. I used to dress like this all the time when I was younger. It's probably nice to know your parents were once not your parents. Did your mother do something that you wouldn't like to have to tell me about? I feel like I need to wake up. What's going to happen to us? So we mentioned in talking about prisoners, Paul Dano and Jake Gyllenhaal's relationship with Paul Dano in that movie. 
in spite of that, they're very good friends. And when Paul Dano wrote and wanted to direct his first, uh, his first feature film, Jake Gyllenhaal was on hand to support it, help produce it, and to star in it. And Wildlife came out in 2018, I believe. And it's essentially the story of a family in the 1960s in uh, Montana. I think it's somewhere kind of Badlands-y. So I'm going to say Montana. And really the collapse of that family. So we've got a, a teenage son, Joe, who is played by Ed Oxenbold. And then we've got the parents... Uh, Jerry, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, and Jeanette, played by Kerry Mulligan. I don't want to go into the specifics, even as much as there are specifics of this movie. I mean, I've already said, and it's not a spoiler, this is a movie about the dissolution of a marriage. But it's a movie about the dissolution of a marriage very much through the eyes of their teenage son. And it's it does that in a way that's kind of more effective than most films that would even try to take that particular tack. And part of the reason for that is... Um, I think Dano quite quite intelligently separates those characters. So we get these kind of chunks of getting to see, okay, well, how how does Joe see his mother? How does Joe see his father? And also how over the course of this movie and as they break apart from being, I mean, this singular thing, this couple, his parents... And as they kind of break down and then also pursue their own individual interests, how do they change? And that's the thing that to me most interests me with Gyllenhaal in this movie, because like early on, he's kind of, he's really down on his luck. He's kind of dead sack, almost a loser, like more so than you really see him play. He just kind of hasn't got it together. And that is maybe it's maybe leaning more heavily or in a slightly tougher or less comfortable way to watch him play a version of a character we've seen him play in lots of movies before and yet as the film progresses and as jerry goes on his own journey and uh well literally goes off to fight like raging wildfires he becomes someone entirely different and i think he doesn't just give a performance to Hall in this movie that kind of gets to some of the bigger places that he's been. I mean, it is worth knowing this is kind of a supporting performance. But to me, it's one where when Hall comes in, he like steals the movie. Um, a couple of instances, particularly late on, a speech which people who've seen it may remember for boy, 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 boy. Uh, or if you haven't seen it and you watch it after this, the scene will stand out to you. One of, one of the better scenes in recent years, and just ter- in terms of phenomenal actors really kind of at the peak of their game. But it brings Hall to a point that's... It's like more serious, but in a very stern way. Um, it's a different kind of performance for him. It's a different kind of anger. He's not... He's not a man who ends up acting kind of with reason or acting rationally and yet at the same time he doesn't quite go wild-eyed in the way that he does in some of the films we've already talked about some of the films we will talk about where i just think it is it's a different shade of what gyllenhaal can do i think it's a great script i think it's really brilliantly shot this was a movie i was underwhelmed by when i saw it the first time and in re-watching for this i was like 
holy shit, this movie is incredible. Like, this is this is really one of the better movies of recent years. It's just, it's so nuanced. It's it's doing a lot with the camera while doing it ever so subtly, ever so gently. I mean, Paul Dano is just a wealth of knowledge about movies and it really shows in this movie without being showy. But I think this is one of the better and more interesting roles Gyllenhaal has got. In part because I just think it's not the thing he'd usually take. One, like, screen time-wise, I doubt his agent would be recommending to take too many roles like this. But obviously he was invested in this project in a different way. It was a movie his friend was making. Um, it was a movie he was producing. Obviously to help get it made, it's helpful for him to be in it. But it also just kind of had a different layer of investment in it. And I guess this is the kind of role that we could see more of him doing as he as he ages, as maybe he's not going to get quite as many leading roles and quite as many kind of, I don't know, maniacal leading roles as he's close to cornering the market on. And I just think it brings out something really interesting in him as a performer. So I found it tough to settle on what was going to take this spot, but I ultimately went for Wildlife. Andrew, you haven't seen Wildlife? Am I right in saying that? You're correct. This uh, this obviously Shame. came out during the uh, the blind spot year, <laughs> post leftover popcorn. It was just one year, was it? Captured on celluloid. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. It, okay, there's a lot of blind spots, but no, I've not seen this. You had me at Paul Dano directs. Uh, as much as I didn't like the prisoners' performance, I love Paul Dano in general. So something I need to revisit. Yeah, visit. You haven't visited. You need to visit. Get lost there. Uh, feel pretty down at the end of it and then yeah maybe we'll talk about some other time but jordan you have seen it yes i have wildlife the true marriage story Uh, i don't know um (laughs) another that's that's a good double bill yeah i i say good not for anyone who's married (laughs) or in a relationship i'm a single person i'd enjoy that double bill um i don't know if like a lot of the population of the planet should necessarily subject themselves to that but I should watch I'm, it with a group, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Couple, couple this, tonight. Yeah, this is this is one that you will end up watching with a group, and it will be incredibly <laughs> awkward. Bill Camp, I didn't mention. Actually, just just to because just thinking of some of the more awkward moments, Bill Camp came to mind. Bill Camp is also in this movie, and he gives one hell of a performance again. Um, really, really strong, and leads to some of the. So the more memorable scenes in the movie. But anyway, Jordan, your thoughts on wildlife? No, it it was again one of those movies that kind of it's it, it it's a tough watch in terms of just like you just like you said like the story and just how a marriage uh, basically dissolves. Um, but I think everything about it was like it, it's like I perfect is not the right word, but it's everything is just like to a T and it's really thought out and just like how things kind of, I guess uh, it goes at its own pace. That's what I'm trying to say more than anything. And again, Joan Hall's really good in it. Gary Mulligan's really good in it. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't remember the kid actor. Uh, He's Ed Oxenbold. Oh, Ed Oxenbold. A very Oxenbold performance, uh, if I do say so myself. Oxenboldian, I think, would be the answer. Exactly. Um, it sounds like one of the character names from Prisoners. No, I think it's better. It's 
Oxabold is where you're, you know, you're really feeling it, and you're pushing it too far, but you're like, oh, that still works, you know, it's good. Uh, he is really good. One of the better kind of kid might be pushing it. Like, I think he's probably supposed to be a teenager. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Uh, what, what age? He's 18 now. He was probably about 15 shooting. Um, But one of the better kind of teenage performances, we'll say, in recent years, where you're like, okay, that guy is really good. I can't wait to see what he becomes. But yeah, I, it's a movie certainly worth checking out. It's on Netflix in my part of the world. I don't know either of you know if it's on Netflix in the US. I don't believe so. I don't think, yeah, I don't think so either. Oh, uh, you'll find it. You'll find it somewhere. It'll be available to rent, buy, whatever. Uh, may even be streaming on like Hulu or Prime or something. So you'll, you'll find it, but we're checking out. I'm going to go to you, Andrew, for your number two, because this is the last case where we don't have crossover. But I say that knowing that this is a movie we'll probably spend a decent chunk of time talking about because it was it was impossibly difficult for me to leave it off my list. I know Jordan loves it too, so what is your number two? So my number two Jake Gyllenhaal performance is uh, David Fincher's Zodiac. Dear Editor, this is the murderer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl on the 4th of July. I want you to print this cipher on the front page of your paper. He wants his code in the afternoon edition. Ray Smith, don't you have a cartoon to finish? The Zodiac Killer has come to San Francisco. Another letter. School children make nice targets. He gave himself a name. Greek. Morse code, astrological signs. This guy's used them all. I like killing people because man is the most dangerous animal of all. How does one do that? I like puzzles. I do them a lot. Got any hard suspects? About uh, 90 an hour. I'm up to around 500. You got four crime scenes. Not a single usable print. You can't think of this case in normal police terms. He's breaking the pattern. Lana said you were a cartoonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing at a gun range? I just want to help. What are you, some kind of boy scout? Eagle scout, actually, first class. Well, I've been thinking. Oh, God, say it was him. There's no evidence, Robert. What do you mean there's no evidence? You have him seen with the ciphers, the military blueprints, the bloody knife. All circumstantial. Why do you need to do this? Because nobody else will. Dave, you made a mistake! Get away from the window. Paul, are you okay? No. Why'd you do it? You put your face out there for him to see. Hello? Who is this? Zodiac was my job. It's not yours. He's still out there, Dave. Killing is his compulsion. It drives him. It's in his blood. Jeez. What? Squirrels. This is the Zodiac speaking. I have a gun. I can give you a lift to the service station. Do you always go around helping people in the night? I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was... I certainly wouldn't tell you. Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? Which is obviously about San Francisco's, or I guess Northern California's infamous serial killer, the Zodiac, but more 
uh, actually more about how the, the police department and the, the newspaper and the media uh, react to his, his killing sprees. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays Robert Graysmith, who is a cartoonist uh, at one of the papers and who wrote the San Francisco book. Chronicle. San Francisco Chronicle. Print journalism is, is still alive and kicking. Uh, so the, I guess the book or the movie was kind of based off the book that was written by Robert Graysmith. As I mentioned, Gyllenhaal portrays Graysmith, and it's really, in his case, a story about obsession and also loneliness. He has to portray a character that is really wants to be invited to the party, but somehow always isn't. And then when he finally is invited to the party, he definitely doesn't fit in. He knows it, but he tries to act like he doesn't know it. That's the kind of vibe he's giving off as Graysmith here. And I think he does a really great job. When you think of Zodiac, I think the performances that really you think of would be someone like Mark Ruffalo or, or Robert Downey Jr. But in my opinion, Hall really anchors the movie as Graysmith, in particular because from a plot standpoint, he's the one that stays honed in on this particular thing and also just because his performance is the one that everyone else revolves around uh adam i know this almost made the list for you is this uh just barely missed it in terms of john hall's performance or is this another one where the overall movie um is probably better than him in general uh no no i I certainly would this is this is his best movie like, this is, I don't even think it's close. The best movie Jake Gyllenhaal has been in is Zodiac. I mean, Zodiac is one of the very best movies of the 21st century so far. I also think he's phenomenal in it. He, he's just, it's a, again, maybe it's a performance that isn't always as showy as some of the others we've talked about and are going to continue to talk about. Um, it is, it, one thing it does have in common with Nocturnal Animals, like, I guess the difference is he is the lead. But he's kind of in that that Amy Adams role in that movie where he is the lead, but there are large stretches where the movie goes away from him and lets other people take it up. Um, and I, I find Mark Ruffalo particularly compelling in Zodiac. I, I absolutely adore Mark Ruffalo's performance in that movie. Um, but one of the things that really struck me there's a there's an incredible menace to Zodiac, right? I'm not talking about the killer, although undoubtedly there is a menace about the Zodiac killer um, but the movie itself has this it has this real edge and to me it's not an edge that comes from the murder scenes it's not an edge that necessarily comes from the moments where Zodiac is on screen as Zodiac there are certainly elements of people are on screen and could they be Zodiac that really ratchet up the suspense and are again, some of the best scenes of any movie uh, in the 21st century so far. But the person who to me channels Zodiac's energy and kind of just, I guess, plants the tension, plants the uneasiness in the audience is Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Graysmith. And in watching it today, my most recent watch, and I've probably seen this movie like 20, 30 times. I don't know even how many times I've seen it. When the first Zodiac cipher is deciphered by the couple, I believe they're both history teachers. You know, you know the point I'm talking about in the movie and the scene I'm talking about? Yeah. 
So the first time we we have a Zodiac cipher kind of read out to us on screen, which is essentially like the first time we hear Zodiac's voice, I think it is quite literally because I don't think any of the, the murder scenes actually have him speaking before that point. But the first time we hear Zodiac's voice as such, it's it's Jill Hall speaking because he's reading out the cipher and he's reading it out in the way that it is broken down. And it's both something just, just out of a practicality. He's reading this sheet where a code is broken down and like words are kind of lapping from one sentence to another and it's not really punctuated. But it has this kind of, this trance-like, there's something just inherently dangerous about it. The way he gives this particular line reading, and he is just reading it, but in this particular watch, it struck me because I was particularly paying attention to him, which is probably something I've never done in watching Zodiac. Zodiac is a movie. It's so expansive. It's got so much going on. I think you just sit back and you're like, oh, let's see what this is. But in focusing on Gyllenhaal, it's like, wow, this particular reading, it, it comes across in the kind of unhinged voice that really adds to the menace of the words that are on the page and the page being, you know, the ciphers that Zodiac sending, the ciphers he wants printed in, in the Chronicle at that time. And that really stood out to me because then I started to think about it. And I just, the kind of, the nervous energy that Robert Graysmith has in this movie. I mean, I don't know if I could think of another Gyllenhaal character who's just kind of as inherently anxious. I can think of other characters with a nervousness and a nervous energy. We're going to talk about some, but I, I think there's a certain kind of anxiety that's in this performance that isn't in a lot of his other movies. I don't know. Do one of you have one there? I think Enemy comes close to it. I think it comes close to it, but I don't think it's this. It's and it's because the thing we touched on earlier, and you came up with what was the perfect word for it. It's there's a meekness about him in this. Yes. Yeah. That I don't think it goes quite to an enemy. I think you know, he's more, more awkward in this movie. Yeah. Like he doesn't belong. I think he's just, I guess, more of a social outsider. Like yeah. in in an enemy, for everything that he is, there is a part of his life that is quite together that just doesn't seem the case in this movie. Uh, he seems to have a handle on life in a better way than he does here. Nothing he's a handle on it. But in Zodiac, I mean, Robert Graysmith is a man, like, searching for his place, like, desperately looking for a purpose. Um, someone who, I guess, maybe he has found a purpose, but that particular purpose, in his case, being a cartoonist, is just, you know, he is the bottom of the food chain in the place where he's going to work for all of his life. That even when he has any other insight, even when he has anything beyond that, he, it's coming from the cartoonist, no one's paying attention to it. And... Uh, for that's again one of the reasons why i just thought hmm the way that particular that first cipher is delivered but also the fact it comes through him because we have scenes where you know they're later read by uh, downey jr as paul avery or where they're read by um the editor of the paper what's that actor's name he plays jack shepherd's dad on lost oh uh something terry Is it John, John Terry? Yeah, I was gonna say John Terry. It is John Terry. It's 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 like the footballer. It's John Terry. Um, Noted great teammate. <laughs> I hope John Terry, the actor, is a better teammate. But that particular moment of all the moments, and there are others in the movie, and there's some that I don't like. I actually don't want to spoil 
I can't I can't tell you who the Zodiac Killer is. Um, Ted Cruz. But, but I don't want to talk about even some of the ways this movie goes because if there is just by any chance if there is anyone listening to this who hasn't seen Zodiac, please watch Zodiac. Go and see Zodiac. Like seek it out. This is this is a movie that everyone should see. Just in terms of a really, really special, deep, detailed, immensely entertaining movie about a subject that shouldn't be that, but also a subject that I think most people have uh, like meaningful familiarity with. Mm-hmm. I say that as someone on this side of the world, I think both of you could probably speak to that a lot better. Um, but that that for me, I, I, I didn't pick Zodiac. Um, it just missed out. But for me, that was one particular detail that when I was agonizing, I was just like, that to me is the moment that sums up his character. And again, this is a movie where he goes on he goes on a journey where by the end he really is more frantic. I mean, you've got like scenes where he's outside Dave Toskey's house and he's shouting, which is it's really good. It's better than the kind of this is the point of the movie where I get kind of shouty, which is funny because Mark Ruffalo's in it. Mark Ruffalo has become famous for these scenes where it's, I was like, just I, about to compare the two. Go ahead. Sorry. It's like I've got the breakthrough. Like this is Mark Ruffalo's thing. And I say that loving the movies that he always tends to have this in. But this is the thing Mark Ruffalo has come known for is having the I figured it out. I've got the moment which Hall has in this movie and his response is to go to Mark Ruffalo's house in the movie, not real Mark Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo's character, <laughs> and to confront oh him with it, which is kind of prescient. I don't know if they knew what was coming from Mark Ruffalo. I don't know if Mark Ruffalo loved that scene so much. He was like, I need to get me some movies that get me that scene. Uh, but Hall has those moments as well. And I think he nails them in a way that never, never breaks into a point of parody. Like, again something maybe we should mention that a lot of these some of the roles he takes on and particularly when he really goes for it and whatever that role demands whatever direction that takes him like in a lesser actor's hands those movies crumble and it becomes a laughing stock it's like what is this guy doing it just never happens with him he managed to pull through those those kind of moments those scenes where it seems sincere and it actually elevates the movie further from there ruffalo's they knew scene from spotlight feels like a dramatic departure from the character that we've known the whole movie. Whereas when Hall gets mm. to the point where he's given the, oh, just maybe one man's opinion. Um, I love I, the, I love Spotlight. So that's, you, you might be right. You might be right. I I agree. I love Spotlight as well. But the with Hall as we see him almost let his obsession get the best of him and just turn him into a different person when he's giving the his 50 yards from door to door scene that's the the same vein as as that ruffalo scene i'm referring to it, it feels more earned than in that case and like you said in a lesser actor's hands that just really doesn't feel true to the character but in this case it really does Side note, just before Jordan comes in on Zodiac, if you want to see Mark Ruffalo in another movie where he gets to tell someone that they knew, they knew, watch Dark Waters. Dark Waters is awesome. Jordan, your Zodiac thoughts. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time, without question. Uh, Everything about it, it's not even just like the Ruffalo, Downey, uh, Gyllenhaal, like it's the character actors, like uh, John Carroll Lich's Arthur Lee Allen mm. is particularly great. The like, there's just so many scenes that stuck stick with you beyond the kind of uh, more hor- horrifying ones in terms of like when you see like the Zodiac Killer or 
one of the killings on in the movie and then the basement scene where Dylan Hall and the yes. the movie uh it's yeah he's like a movie um what is it projector project yeah projectionist yes uh yeah that one it when you see those movies it's like oh I can never get that out of my head uh for as long as I live um but it's just everything about it is like perfect and it it's one of those movies where of course, considering da- how David Fincher is, it's you can never like kind of, uh, I guess, what do you learn more about like the studio, mo- the production of the movie, and all that stuff? Like you could just like only like, oh, what take is this? What ta-? you spend ninety takes of a, of just filming a lamp? Like it's just like that kind of like everything is just so meticulous and just like wearing on actors, but it obviously produces a a very watchable movie and one of the best movies, if not his best movie uh, for Fincher and Joan Hall. Yeah, I agree with that in both cases. I think it probably is. Um, and that's that's saying a lot as we're as we're talking through here. I mean, Joan Hall, a lot of great movies. Fincher, a lot of great movies too. Okay, what way will I do this? Um, I know what we'll do. We'll talk about the film that is your number two, Jordan, but it is my number one because after that we are going to have a film that is my number two and is number one for both you and Andrew. So uh, I'll let you do the reveal first of all, Jordan. What is your number two, my number one? Nightcrawler. Excuse me, sir. I'm looking for a job. I'm a hard worker. I set high goals. My motto is if you want to win the lottery, you have to make the money to buy a ticket. So what do you say? I could start tomorrow, or even why not tonight? No, I'm not hiring. We're first! Go around, get a shot inside the car! Hey, back away. I got it, I'm back, I'm back. Will this be on television? Morning news, if it bleeds, it leads. Are you currently hiring? I'm starting a TV news business. You, get back! I film breaking stories. Maybe you saw my item this morning, you were fatal carjacking. No, I mean, I don't have a TV. Do you have a cell phone? Yeah. Is that a GPS? Yeah. Congratulations, you're hired. Okay. We're taking the next right. Good, stupid! Repeat the police. I will never ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Excuse me. I have something you'll be very excited about. You have a good eye. I want you to contact me when you have something. Something like this. Think of our newscast as a screaming woman running down the street with her throat cut. You will be seeing me again. Any unit, residential 211. A home invasion. Call the cops. And we will at the right time. But I don't know what to do. We're gonna find the person that drove that car. Start filming. I'm Detective Fonieri. I think you withheld information. That would be a very unprofessional thing for me to do. It would be murder. I want what you promised me. I want something people can't turn away from. 911, what's your emergency? Oh my god! 
I think Lou is inspiring all of us to reach a little higher. <laughs> How would you describe Nightcrawler? <laughs> um, that's a good question, especially because see it the. Uh, how many years later? I think it's five and a half years after it came out. Um, when it came out, it was like, oh, this movie, I just want to see it so badly. It just kind of hit everything of my, the Jill and Holosance, I guess. It was right in the smack dab of it. <laughs> um, and it just kind of, rewatching, you're just like, what? I had to kind of like put all the pieces together and just, and try to like, I don't know how to, I don't know how you would describe it. I guess it's more kind of like a. It just goes to so many different places that you just can't kind of pinpoint it in one thing. I would say that's not a great answer, but that's what I'll have to do right now. That's okay. I can I can pick up on that, or Andrew can. What you what have you got, Andrew? I was gonna say it's more of like a metaphor for the American mindset in how we let ambition. Uh, cloud our judgment in some cases and it's a commentary on uh, the media and how being first and being flashy is more important than being right and Hall's character is the encapsulation of all those themes and, and it's one of those films where he gets to go off the rails in terms of his intensity intensity, but it's not quite the, the comedic wackiness of something like Okja or his recent SNL skit. Um, it's another movie where he gets to communicate largely with his eyes. Obviously mm-hmm. he has some showy moments in this, but the intensity and the ambition and the obsession in his facial expressions in this movie definitely cement that intensity and almost insanity as it goes on. Yeah, this is a, this is a movie that it's... He is what is called, I guess, a nightcrawler, and is also a stringer. Real thing. First of all, the both of you know that are both of you aware of just how real this is, and just how this is not some crazy movie idea. I had no idea until seeing it. I was, I thought, you know, no, uh, but you, you are aware because I mean, I would have thought this is certainly at least like heavily kind of. I, I the whole thing is fiction, but the actual occupation is a real thing that is kind of carried out um maybe not quite the illegalities but is carried out very close to how it's portrayed in the movie like i i would have had no idea that that was real Uh, yeah i didn't realize there were randos just going around freelancing so to speak i thought you know anytime you're on the scene of of a local news story those are employees of the station full-time employees and you know cameramen i didn't realize that there was almost like this subculture of freelancers trying to make their name jordan what was your uh, knowledge of stringers uh, before this? I probably would have just thought it was like TMZ or something, <laughs> honestly, uh, before seeing Nightcrawler. I mean, that's a good thing to bring up, because if we're trying to give some sort of snapshot, this is like, imagine TMZ, but interested in like murders and accidents, you know, <laughs> gruesome crime, but TMZ, which just sounds like something that should not exist. Sounds like a great idea for a movie but sounds like something that would be entirely of someone's creation. But in fact, it is not. And uh, there is a Netflix docu-series that falls around like real stringers in LA. 
I wouldn't say it's like the best piece of filmmaking, but it's a really captivating watch because these people are, <laughs> they're not that far off a lot of what we see in the movie. I'd, I'd actually, I would recommend that if anyone likes Nightcrawler and they haven't seen it, it's worth checking out just because you're like, Jesus, this is like, this is more real than I could ever have imagined. Um, and I do wonder just how much of that Gyllenhaal had a feel for because I think he really kind of captures something here. Um, this to me is his his craziest performance. Like not just in a zany way, not in an obvious way. This is like I have fully committed to this. This thing has taken over my entire body and soul. This is what I am now, and. When I rewatched this movie, something came back to me that I was I thought about a lot at the time, and it, it feels kind of more interesting now because we just had a movie that went through this whole conversation cycle and tried its best to be associated with these films in recent months. I don't know if either of you have a sense of where I'm going yet with this. You probably do. Um, this movie owes so much to Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy, mm. and and it nails its references to them without being just like on the nose like this is that is what Hall is doing for a lot of this I think maybe there's certainly there's a Travis Bickle but there's a real kind of Rupert Pupkin King of Comedy vibe to just the energy Hall brings to this and I'm rewatching I was like man Jake Hall would have made an amazing Joker this version of Jake Hall as a Joker would have just had a little bit more sunniness that Joaquin Phoenix doesn't have, doesn't possess, a little bit more humanity. But I, it made me think, because obviously you've got this incredibly kind of close relationship, great friends. I believe Hall is godfather to Heat Ledger and Michelle Williams' child. Um, but obviously Heat Ledger made that so iconic. But this is like... This is where Hall took that kind of performance. And I don't know, do either of you know, have you come across, have you ever heard, or can you guess? There was one thing that he frequently mentions as his inspiration and as the thing he really leaned on for the character in this movie. It is not a movie character. It is not a living person. It is an animal. So... Have either of you got any guesses on what the animal that inspired Jake Gyllenhaal and Nightcrawler is? Raccoons. No, but swing and a miss. <laughs> you've you've got a you've got an energy. I I would say think think certainly bigger, but I mean you're there's a feral quality there that I think you're working with. I couldn't guess that at all <laughs> or guess an animal at all i guess coyotes yes andrew yes i've got quotes on this right these quotes are like <laughs> i've seen a coyote in the flesh so continue do you call them coyotes where you're from so do people do uh, that i think some people do that i do not nor does anyone i know i'm glad i'm sure uh, that's a thing <laughs> I feel like that's a thing in movies. I don't know where. I would have thought it's somewhere in your neck of the woods. So when you said Coyote, I was like, oh, good for Andrew. Um, this, is a, this is a Jake Gyllenhaal quote on Nightcrawler. I quote, 
When I started to learn the dialogue for Nightcrawler, the words and the punctuation were so particular that my body started to respond to it in a certain way. I had this animal idea, like a coyote. I grew up in Southern California, and at night you could hear them howling sometimes as they tore apart an innocent animal. So I thought it should be like that. Coyotes always look sickly and have crazy eyes and wander around the shadows. I could see that worked as a concept, and so I shaved myself to that idea. End quote. Um, like, that is nailed on what he does in this movie. So he 100% achieved what he set out to do because, like, the physical transformation is quite jarring. He is very skinny. He's very drawn. Only ate kale salads and chewing gum. <laughs> is that a real thing? Yeah. That's how I lost that weight before we did the podcast a few years ago, out of <laughs> kale and chewing gum. Was he eating chewing gum? Was this like he was actually, he was digesting, like famously indigestible chewing gum? I don't know, but he's also running, just keeping, he was also was running keeping 15 him busy. miles every day, so he, I, yeah. Wow. And, okay. Yeah, 30 pounds too. Well, it shows in the movie. I mean, he looks completely unhinged. He's got something entirely different about him. But this is the film where you like so many, you know, we've talked about, we've mentioned lots. Of, oh, he has these looks or he has these glances or he makes his way to a point where he becomes this character. It's like, no, no, in this movie, start to finish, he is just like, he is wired. He is a completely different character to anything he's ever played. And I think most people have ever played because it's a lot to be just what he is in this movie. And if it's perfectly with the story, it makes for fascinating watch of pretty i think it's a two-hour movie but it really moves at pace so dan gilroy who also did velvet buzzsaw with jill hall uh which unfortunately did not live up to nightcrawler but they made a really really good and interesting movie together that to me it's like i guess it's in part what sells in america and it's also what gets what helps you to get ahead i, th- I think their kind of core ideas to the movie and the fact that Hall can be the way he is, his character be the way he is, and people are prepared to you know, maybe shelve any reservations or just overlook that because hey, if you can, if you can help me, if you've got the right thing to help me get my foot up the ladder, I'm prepared to overlook that. And just the way that that kind of attitude can be incredibly corrosive and how it can spiral out of control, uh, I I think it's a really really interesting insightful movie. But this is, as I said, my number one general performance because I just think this is a level, it's as showy as it gets and I wouldn't always be inclined to go for that. But again, I don't think he ever lets it get out of control. Like, this movie doesn't even have the moments that when we talk about something like, okay, and we're like, oh yeah, there's these these moments where you're like, he's doing a lot. Like, he's doing so much in this movie and yet it always feels at one with the film's energy overall. His character would do well in tech sales. <laughs> That's spoken from experience. Why don't you just go into work like a coyote? What, what would that do for you, Andrew? <laughs> Who's to say I don't, Adam? I've closed, in, I've closed <laughs> three, de- three deals in the last two weeks. I'm hitting it hard now. <laughs> I'm now imagining your own. You're, you're like the coyote of... Uh, I don't know exactly where you work, so I don't have the Wall Street equivalent, but I was making my own Wolf of Wall Street version, imagining you as the coyote. It's really like Jake Gyllenhaal as Al Pacino's character in Glengarry Glenn Ross. That's how I would describe me on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> wow, that's... 
Yeah, I might have to get a camera and jump on a flight when this coronavirus stuff uh, settles down and make that a documentary because I think that's going to go places. Uh, this this movie didn't make your list at all. Was it close, Andrew? Or what are what are your overall feelings on Nightcrawler? It was close. I I do really love this movie. I've only seen it three times, I think, and most of that was around the time after it was released in theaters and when it came out. Uh, it probably. I mean, upon reflection, as we really dissected Nocturnal Animals, and in particular his performance there and how muted it is and off to the side it is, I think this would probably bump that if I was reconsidering things and maybe Stick be just Stick to your behind. guns! Stick to your Adam, guns, Andrew. Adam, I'm a flip-flopper. Uh, you sure I are. A, I would have made this a great is, politician. I'm surrounded by flip-floppers in this episode. Jordan has been... I'm, I'm very impressed with how, you know decisive jordan has been i prefer to this call them you, i prefer jordan. to call myself a sandal i'm not a i don't wear flip-flops <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe really you know jordan movies was the thing you were born to talk about maybe it's maybelline i don't know i don't know <laughs> okay let's move on no i what they number what they can i just add one quick thing uh, Absolutely. Very good. Night, qu- qu- uh, Night Crawler is how you say the movie. Um, that is. And it's, <laughs> it's, again, another really good rewatch. And uh, I, it's funny that you brought up Joker because the initial, when I was rewatching, I was like, oh, you could kind of see a little bit of, um, again, forgetting characters' names, but uh, Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems before Jake Joan Hall veers. Yeah, Howard Ratner. It veers into. Uh, doing this, all the stringer stuff because he's basically just stealing mm. people's stuff and partying that, and just trying to get money and uh, that kind of. They also dress alike. They do. The bomber jacket, the kind of weird. Howard loved his plants, right? He loved watering his plants. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> he it's had the fish. It, the fish were his plants. Yeah, uncut gems and Nightcrawler are similar, and then that in that they're good movies, and then you. You reference the Joker, which makes me wish movies didn't exist. So that's funny how those things can relate. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I only reference it because like you both see what I'm saying with that oh, thing, yeah. with Gyllenhaal and how how he could make. Well, it's not going to happen now. I mean, they've made one, and well, maybe I guess if ever there's a character that they could just make endless movies, it may be Joker, even more so than Batman at this point. But I I just think there is like. Even though everything about him, I mean, maybe it's too close to Heat Ledger, but I think there's just kind of a. I don't know if we're using even past Jokers as a reference point. I think he can bring something, some of the darkness, some of the kind of manic energy that Heat Ledger or even Walking Phoenix had, but also bring the Jack Nicholson element that either of those could never quite muster up. That's just not who they are as actors. Like I think that is. This is a funny movie in a way oh, yeah. where, again, you're like you're laughing, but you, like there's there's no pretense that this is going to end good in any way. Like you're very much aware, even more so than a movie like Taxi Driver. Like right from opening shot, opening moments, you're like, okay, well this guy, uh, like there's no ambiguity at all. The opening scene of the movie has him like knock someone out and rob their stuff, and then the next scene has him rob some more stuff, and it's like there's no ambiguity at all. There's no sense of trying to pretend that he's already at a point where he's just like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get to wherever I want to be, which in its own right is probably a commentary on some larger things. But I, I just, when I watch that performance, I do. I mean, 
Uh, he did give a very maximalist performance in a superhero movie, um, but not with the darkness because he decided to be in a Marvel movie. I, I think there is something there that there could have been at some point a really spectacular Jake Gyllenhaal Joker. That was a spot on take. I just wanted to shit on Joker. So you were, you were spot on with that. I'm, I fully support and endorse that. So anytime, any episode you want to do that, feel free to jump in. Okay, number one for both of you and number two for me. I wonder are we going to catch some people off guard with this because I don't know really how many people have seen this. That's a very good question. <laughs> like maybe this is going to seem like we're being really obtuse where I don't think any of us will feel like we actually are. I think it's anyone who sees this movie will then kind of understand why it's there or appreciate it. But I, I'm not entirely sure just how many people have seen it. The only reason I saw it when it first came out was because other Jordan recommended it to me and said, you, you absolutely have to see this movie. It's incredible. And unlike anything I've ever seen. So it was also, I don't think it made that much money yet. No, $3.4 million at the box office. I mean, this was a little seen movie at the time that it came out, and I think it might have aged into some critical acclaim, and and maybe as it was on Netflix or Amazon, more people saw it, but it's not something that's going to jump off the page at you if you're just a casual moviegoer and thinking about Jake Gyllenhaal's career as a whole from that standpoint. Yeah, so I don't think we named it yet, so we better do that. (laughs) So the movie we're talking about Jordan's number one, Andrew's number one, my number two is Denny Villeneuve's Enemy. You don't go to the movies, do you? I don't. I don't go out that much. Is there a reason why you're asking me this? You know, maybe you had a recommendation. Anthony Clare, 3650 Rathburn Road. Hello? Uh, good afternoon. Hey. Um, I'm calling to speak Where to... Where are you Dan- calling from? I'm, so- I'm sorry, I, th- I think there's been a misunderstanding. Who is this? Okay, I'm gonna, I'll call back later. Who is on the phone? The same guy who called before, same guy. Are you lying to me? Is the second Denny Villeneuve 
Jake Gyllenhaal collaboration. I think you just made a very astute observation, Andrew, and that it's kind of aged into something that maybe more people have seen, that people like us are talking about, and maybe something that could still become even more kind of celebrated as the years go on, in part because uh, Villeneuve's stock just continues to soar. Gyllenhaal's stock has gone up for making movies like this since. But then I guess also, like something like Prisoner has made a lot of money, and I think a lot of people saw Prisoners for the kind of movie it was, and any of those who would know about this would be like, oh, did you like Prisoners? How about another Jake Gyllenhaal movie from the guy who directed Prisoners? You're like, yeah, sure, give me another one of those. And this boat fulfills that particular need, but offers something completely different. Something that is kind of a marvel in just how compact it is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, ni- it's 90 minutes, I mean... That's with credits. It's probably like an 86-minute movie that is unbelievably ambitious. It's so it, metaphorical, Adam. It's so metaphorical. It really is. Um, there, there are so many levels to it that we're not going to unpack because to do so would be to dive into spoiler territory. Untangling the just, web, if you will. There is an element of the story that we're going to have to discuss. So... I mean, the general setup, I think the first 40 minutes of the movie and where it gets to are safe for us to talk about because that's, that is the movie. That's how you sell it. But I don't do either of you want to volunteer or feel comfortable if it's body or number one that you want to give just a brief snippet, at least from your perspective. I mean, this is very much up for debate. Uh, Gyllenhaal and Villeneuve, they have their own line that they describe this movie as which wouldn't be my go-to. So I, I don't know what, maybe both of you have different ways that you would sell this. Do either of you have something you want to kind of put it forward as? So feel free to cut this off if it's too spoilery, but I do subscribe to kind of what they're describing the movie as, but I'll do it in a more si- simplistic way. Like we said with Nocturnal Animals, Hall's playing two characters in this movie. And from that metaphorical sense, I like to think of it as the the devil on one shoulder and the angel on another shoulder that each of us have within ourselves. And it, it goes deeper than that in the movie, but for ri- without risk of spoiling, that's how I would describe it. And how he has to bring that softness that I described that I like from so many of his roles. And then on the other hand, that arrogance and that manipulation is is another balance that he struck perfectly. I think the the one thing I'll say on that is the reason I'd, I'm not even giving the specific quote that say Hall always broke out or Denny Villeneuve uses is um, I, I think the way you just spoke about it is the right way to introduce this movie Tenyon, which is to talk about it as you know two characters and he does play two characters and to spin it that way where they do something where they tend to frame it as will for the sake of arguing put it as one of those character stories where you hear them talk about it, you can go, oh, yeah, but what about the other? What about the other character? Which is really, I mean, the fact that they're framing it in that particular way is it gets to the whole, what is this movie? What is the intent of the movie? Um, and what is the meaning of the movie? Things we're not necessarily going to dive into the reason now. But it is, I mean, he plays two characters. This is a movie about duality. This is a movie about um, balancing different parts of your life. And it also then, just on a surface level, I think, which is really because it's a very effective kind of 
mystery thriller kind of movie so this is how you watch it until it's over for me that's my feeling for it and then you start thinking about okay well what exactly is it doing what is it saying how do all the pieces work it's just an amazingly entertaining doppelganger movie and i love doppelganger movies jordan do you have any thoughts on how you'd kind of frame this or spin this or sell this if you were if you were the, the marketing man how would you put enemy forward um oh i mean <laughs> i don't know if i could do that without... that was really just a glib way of me trying to set you up but once i did it i was like i would like to see jordan's package for how he'd market enemy that seems interesting that is oh my god um <laughs> um i also well i i will bypass that question because i literally cannot answer that but i will say also sucker for any double giga movie uh, I mean, Twin Peaks is my favorite show, and <laughs> that mm. obviously delves into that territory. But it, I, my personal story of this movie is that I tried for so long to find this movie because it was on Amazon Prime. Don't have Amazon Prime, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of floats out there. I think through it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, it's on Netflix now. Right it's on now Netflix we... now, which everybody can watch. Um, it's on Netflix in America, I should say. For anyone, I'm sorry, listening on my side of the world. Um, and it, it was one of those things where I heard about it for such a long time. I was like, I don't know how to find this movie. And then when it, like the payoff of like seeing it, like trying to find it and like find it and rent it after so many years, uh, and it being good and being this really captivating watch. And again, just kind of hits on all the things that we've talked about in his previous movies, but delivers two really different. I mean, the movie lives or dies with how good you're the one actor is playing two performances and he's done that well in other films, but this is definitely, I would say the best representation of being able to do that. Um, and it's just, it's, yeah, it, it's 90 minutes and it goes by fast and you're just kind of like left with like days confused, obviously just based on how the movie unfolds. But, uh, it's one of those things. It's one of those movies you want to watch like a couple more times just to like, how to like figure all the the puzzle out? I would say. I think that one of one of the things that stands out. This is this is maybe the prime example of the movies and the roles he takes. Where, like, if he can't pull this off, the whole thing is it doesn't just come crashing out. It is like laughably bad. This is a movie that people make fun of for years, even though it's not a big budget movie. In this case, this is the kind of movie that could be like really damaging for his career. You know it particularly scenes where you know his two characters come together like that stuff just that's always set up for disaster in movies and particularly when an actor is playing i mean uh, even my terminology i was gonna say two sides of the same coin which just gets into dicey water when we're talking about this movie but even when it is that and there's there's so much in common there like there there are also elements where just kind of demeanor and attitude is so different where there is a kind of comic element where you see like, okay, this Hall has his leather jacket and he's standing like really upright and he's like confrontational and he's kind of ready. Well, this one, you know, that, that part of it is even just kind of visually when you're shot reverse shot, and you're cutting from one to the other. There is an element of something that's funny to that, but his performance in both cases is compelling enough and convincing enough. Most importantly, that you're never breaking into laughter at that. Like it, it's. I just think it's a natural thing to be thrown off by that and to be like, okay, this is too weird. Because sure, we talked about him playing two characters in Nocturnal Animals, 
he's not doing this though you know there's a very clear delineation between what's real and what's not real in nocturnal animals and the two jake gyllenhaals are never going to come face to face that is not what we're dealing with in this movie and that is what really i guess brings the premise up to a completely different level um in terms of its ambition in terms of the, the degree of difficulty of pulling it off but it's also them what he manages to land with and this is the case where you know so many of his movies that I, I keep coming back to this. I've mentioned it tons of times on this episode where you get these movies where his arc is kind of very definitive, starting at a point where, you know, he's maybe he's ready to break. It's under the surface. You wouldn't notice it. He looks just like you are. He's ready to break and bring it to a point where like he's completely breaking uh, or has broken. Where that's a common theme for Hall movies, this film is so fascinating because you essentially get him to do both of those things at once. You know, as a viewer, you're getting that full experience, not as a, not as an arc, not as a trajectory for the film, but you're getting to see those two characters come together, those two elements of him in the frame. And I think, like, the degree of difficulty of that is so great that it's obviously that high on our list for that reason. But it's also like, this may not be his best known movie, it may not be his best movie, but if you want to talk about him as an actor and what he can do, this is the defining movie of his career. I mean, for for literally having to carry the movie in the way he does and taking on those two, those two characters and kind of making it all up together, like that's just, that's real showreel stuff that not many people would ever even dare to take on, let alone pull off in the way that he does. Either of you have any other reasons on, I guess, why this is number one. I mean, for both of you, it seems like it is it is a pretty beloved movie. You both feel very strongly on it, beyond even just being like, this is his, this is his best performance. But are we all in agreement that it's his best performance because we're kind of getting all shades, because we're getting to see him do some of the, I guess, the quieter and the louder elements all, all in the one movie, all in the one package, and often, like, playing them off each other for me it is that pixies element adam you but, you nailed it right there yeah. <laughs> we uh, keep going back to that. what's that about i think it's just our preferences but uh it, for me i think i am also biased in that i love the movie so much as a whole so i think i'm letting that influence me as well i, I did that with zodiac as well i i legitimately think this is one of the best movies of the last 20 years or, or however. So that coupled together with Hall's dual performances are, are really what elevated that to the top of my list. I would agree with it with that too. I, I don't think there's anything it's again, 90 minutes and nothing feels out of place or is too uh, extraneous or anything like that. It's everything just like from start to finish. It just is a perfect movie. Um, and Hall only just kind of, there's a lot of other parts of it, but Joan Hall just ever brings everything together, and we're all Joan Hollicks, and I'm definitely a Joan Hollick. <laughs> all right. Uh, on that, though, Alex Jones was just uh, charged with a DWI, so that goes back into our earlier conversation. So, just wanted to throw that out there. Someone get Paul Dano some help. That's all <laughs> I'm gonna say. Last, lastly, to wrap up our Joan Hall conversation. I feel like there is a change 
I, I don't want to say coming because they're probably already seeing it, but I feel like in a in a larger way, there's probably a change in direction. Much like he changed to take on the kind of movies that he did. I feel like he's the kind of person who likely has an itch to really kind of reinvent himself somewhat. What would what would you guys like to see Jill Hall's career become? Maybe not in like bigger picture from here because there's probably a lots lots of twists and turns and it's always tough to know kind of how someone's career holds up as they age, if they become like this revered great and get great roles as they age, or if they kind of I don't know, either fade or become something different. But what is it even in the shortest term that you'd like to see Jake Gyllenhaal focus his attentions on? I have one hyper-specific request. And that's that I want Jake Gyllenhaal to be in Quentin Tarantino's last movie. Mm. So we mentioned his, his kind of genre hopping, how he can do the do the serious, do the movie star role and also get a little zany. I don't know what Tarantino's last movie is gonna be, but I don't think I Tarantino think, does either. Yeah, I, and I think Gyllenhaal Hall in some type of role could have worked in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood universe. So if the tone is similar to that, and he can find a serious but also not afraid to be silly role like Leo had in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think that would be a, a pretty good next step for him. Jordan, I don't. I. Would you like to see him, would you just be happy to see him do more of the kind of stuff he's been doing that we've been talking about? I mean, a lot of that is his more recent work. I I would say so, but that's obviously just kind of being selfish and just be like, oh, I want more of <laughs> enemy prisoners, all that stuff. But I think you're correct in that we're, I don't think we're seeing, I think we're kind of, there is definitely a switch being flipped a little bit in terms of just kind of, we're seeing a little bit more kind of the, uh, zanier kind of outside of the box elements uh, and obviously that goes for movies i haven't seen like valid bus or okja or uh, um that that track that joan hall is in with kind of more of the independent movies and all this not or just you know not the big blockbusters that he's associated with obviously i, I want to see him do comedy and i want to see him do weird comedy this is this is something he's clearly good at. This is something we mentioned John Mulaney. He was obviously in John Mulaney's special. He appeared on he's obviously part of this wider John Mulaney family now, along with <laughs> along with David Byrne as he appeared now, on maybe? Saturday Night Live. Oh, that would be that would be spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um I'd have to give that some thought of what documentary could do, but that's that sounds like fun. But I, I think there's there's something there that clearly he's leaning into he's more comfortable with just being that kind of character that does tie into his zanier roles where he knows he's gonna get laughs and he's playing for laughs but i I think he's really good at that i like to see him i like to see him lean into comedy but i think i think he has the power to make comedies that would cross over because people will see them because it's him but they would also be incredibly weird I'm not saying they won't land with everyone, but I think like the idea of Jake Gyllenhaal doing comedy is not like a Seth Rogen movie or a Will Ferrell movie. You know what I mean? It's it's not like this is like broad appeal comedy. It's like obvious from the get go. This is what it is. I think I think he could do something that has. I don't think edge is the right word for it, but just a little bit more 
eccentricity, a little bit more weirdness. I think he's really good at playing characters like that. And even in some of the darker ones we've talked about, those elements come out and often get laughs. So I would like to see him do that. I'm looking at his projects in development. And I mean, it doesn't really look like he, he's, he's actually, he hasn't got anything that's, there's three projects in pre-production and two announced. So he, like there's, it's not like we're, uh, we're about to hit some new Jill Hall movie. There's from what's reported anyway, there's nothing kind of there waiting in the can or in production currently or in post-production. So it might be a while before he has something else. The first thing, though, that comes up, at least in the order that they're there on IMDb, I'm going to read you just the first couple of sentences of this, and I wonder, does this thing still happen? It's called The Division. On Black Friday in New York City, bioterrorists release a modified strain of smallpox called the Green Poison onto several amounts of currency bills. This results in the disease spreading rapidly and before long society in New York City has collapsed resulting in the activation of the Strategic Homeland Division. Does this sound like a good idea for a movie title review now? Mm, no. Nope. I think that might be based on a video game. That, that's that's familiar. A it's, a, it's also... It's, video game? It's down to be directed by uh, David Leach, who's worked like on John Wick uh, as a producer, and he directed Atomic Blonde, so... Like one of the one of the more interesting and better action directors and kind of stunt coordinators before that around. I mean, it sounds like something that Rock should be starring in personally, but uh, maybe he, maybe this is his pivot. Maybe he's like, I want to be that guy. I would be disappointed if that's the decision he makes, but we'll see. I don't know. I feel like that one's gonna be uh, that one's gonna be put on hold for a little while at least. But I would like to see Jake Hall make us all laugh a bit more. We all need a good laugh. I'd like to see him find something, dare I say, once in a lifetime. Oh. <laughs> I now you're talking my language. This is this Nailed is a it. good idea. This is a good idea. Um, okay, let's wrap up. We are gonna be back next week and we're gonna be continuing uh, the series of episodes we started off two weeks back, three weeks back, which is our journey through the movies of the 21st century. It did strike me in, in doing this particular episode, um, some of these movies, we're going to talk more specifically about the movie elements as we go through this particular project. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal movies will feature again, some of them that we've mentioned today. But next week, we'll be talking about the, the movies that came out in the year 2001. And specifically... Uh, my pick is Itamama Tambian, Alfonso Cuaron's film. And Andrew, do you want to let people know what film you've picked? Ocean's Eleven. And that very much, I think, perfectly balances our podcast <laughs> for any potential listeners we have. And also just sums up the the divide. Not the divide, that's the wrong word. I've got the division on my mind now. But the dynamic between Andrew and I. And the way I think we can both flip from one side to the other of that. So two really, really good movies that we'll be talking about next week, along with a snapshot of the other stuff that came out in the year 2001. In the meantime, first and foremost, thanks for coming on, Jordan. This was a lot of fun. And we'll have to we'll have to tap into that brain ears and find another another maybe it's another actor or a director or some other movies and get you back on again soon. Hmm. Well, thank you very much. And we can definitely do that. Thanks to all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. 
Um, you can visit our website, capturedoncellulite.com. And importantly, follow us on Twitter at Captured on Cell. Like us on Facebook. And uh, I, I always forget to do this, but particularly seeing as we've got very few listeners, we're still a new podcast. Go to whatever your platform is. If it allows you to leave reviews, if it allows you to leave ratings, please go and do that. Leave positive reviews and ratings if you're enjoying the show because it will help us kind of get out there and be discovered by more people. So any of you could do that, we greatly appreciate it. Until next time, thanks all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. And thank you, Andrew. Thanks, boys.